0: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another HPV episode on Behind the Knife. This is your HBB team from the MD Anderson Cancer Center. My name is Anisha, T32 Research Fellow here at MD Anderson. I'm excited to be joined by some great mentors of mine and Dr. Tim Newlook, the Associate PD of the HBB Fellowship here at MD Anderson, and the legend himself, Dr. Jean-Nicolas Voté, the chief of our HBB section. Today, we're going to discuss some advances in preoperative venous deprivation that build upon portal venous embolization, known as PVE. Specifically, we'll discuss hepatic venous embolization, simultaneous portal hepatic venous embolization, and a fast-track two-stage hepatectomy. It sounds like a lot, but we'll do our best to break it down with that being said, Dr. Voté, could you give us a brief overview of PVE uh, for context before we get into our discussion?
1: Thank you, uh, Dr. Um, Jane. Uh, we are very happy to discuss PVE today, and it's a procedure we have great experience with at MD Anderson for now uh, more than two decades. We started PVE um, more than 20 years ago uh, in the U.S., based on the work of uh, Professor Makuchi in Japan, who um, noted that when it was one-sided, portal vein occlusion was leading to contralateral hypertrophy of the liver. The liver regenerates, and this is due to the presence of a uh, hepatocyte growth factor and the comitogenic mitogenic factor, such as insulin and glucagon. So, when we do PV, we do this uh, in interventional radiology uh, primarily, and uh, we induce the regeneration of the contralateral liver. Uh, this is mostly done when you have a small left liver. The uh, liver um, is, uh, is unequal in terms of volumetry. The left liver on average is 33% of the total liver volume, so that's why we perform right portal vein embolization. Sometimes we perform right oral vein embolization with extension to segment four when we want to do an extended right hepatectomy. These uh, procedures uh, done in interventional radiology are very well tolerated by the patient. They are performed as outpatient, and the patient uh, leaves the same day and stays one day uh, locally, and then the delivery section can be performed about three weeks later. Of course, we do CT scans to uh, guide this portal vein embolization, and we look at the volumetry, the size of the future liver remnant, the liver that will remain uh, after the livery section. So it's an anticipated uh, liver, future liver remnant, and we uh, target some volumes. When the liver is, uh, is small, it's... Uh, or less than 20%, 30% less than 30% or 40% less than 40%, we consider portal vein embolization. And these numbers are derived from uh, our experience with the outcome of liver resection in patients with a normal liver we would like to at least have 20% liver remnant. In patients who have received chemotherapy, we want at least 30%. Patients with cirrhosis or uh, fibrosis would like 40% liver remnant. So we target our volume pre liver section and we perform the portal vein embolization, measure the liver volume uh, before portal vein embolization with a CT. And we repeat the CT before the livery section. And if the anticipated liver volume is what you like to have, then we go ahead and perform the livery section. And the livery section, in fact, has become very safe with very low risk of hepatic insufficiency or liver failure when the uh, volume, the adequate volume is reached for the anticipated livery section.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Votain. I think that's a great, great summary. And it's important to remember, though, that as Dr. Votain said, while a lot of patients will have adequate hypertrophy after PVE, some case series have reported that up to 15% don't achieve a sufficient future liver remnant, as Dr. Votain mentioned. And that's why many groups, including ours, have investigated ways to induce further hypertrophy uh, in these patients. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so one of the new methods to Address Insufficient Future Liver Hypertrophy Following PVE is the Utilization of Adjunctive Paddock Vein Utilization, or HVE, after PVE. And in 2020, our group published an article detailing the use of HVE in patients who had inadequate FLR, hypertrophy, after PVE. And so just a brief overview, it was a retrospective review of nine patients with colorectal liver metastasis who received neoadjuvant chemotherapy and underwent PVE, but still had an insufficient FLR afterward. And they underwent either hepatic venous embolization of either the right or middle hepatic veins in an attempt to induce further hypertrophy. Of the nine patients, only three underwent definitive liver surgery. Um, And in these three patients, there was no evidence of any postoperative hepatic insufficiency as defined by total bilirubin greater than seven in the postoperative period. And there were no perioperative mortalities attributable to liver insufficiency, which was once the predominant cause of death in patients undergoing liver resection. Um, and as expected, we had statistically significant increases in uh, future liver remnant following PVE. However, we also found statistically significant increases in FLR after hepatic venous embolization. Um, and there were no complications from the procedure either. So Dr. Newlook, what are some of the big takeaway points that our listeners should uh, understand from this article? Well, thank you, Dr. Jane. Um...
2: I'd like to say first that um, as a younger, uh, newer surgeon here, I've been fortunate enough to base my practice truly standing on the shoulders of giants. And it's important to know the history of how, where, how we've got to this point. Um, with our refined selection for surgery based on these hypertrophy indices, we're able to offer very safe surgery. And Dr. Bote discussed the portal vein embolization And the key here is that um, there's a measurement of both adequate volume that we need to get to, but also the rate of growth after these uh, procedures. And if you feel like your patient is somebody who just needs a little bit more, maybe the rate of growth, the kinetic growth rate, so to speak, was um, adequate in your mind, but the volume that you, as Dr. Vote mentioned, have in your mind you want to get to before offering surgery, is just, in we're now almost at the finish line, there's always the question of what else can we do to help uh, induce more hypertrophy to get to the operating room? You may get to an adequate volume, but the rate of growth, the KGR, so to speak, of the PBE is clearly insufficient. That's a patient who's still at risk for surgery um, because of a failed stress test, so to speak. So if you wanna get somebody to the operating room just by a volume index alone, The question is, what can you do next? And that naturally that the mind may wonder when you think about the volume, sorry, the anatomy of a liver as to what else you can do interventionally to get that adequate growth. And I think the very first thing that someone may think of is, well, why can't you embolize the other veins that are in the liver, the hepatic veins? And there's multiple groups around the world who have published early experiences on that. Um, our early experience, as Dr. Jane mentioned, was um, in a paper in 2020 with Dr. Vote and uh, partners in our interventional radiology group, including Dr. Wong, Bavash, Odysseo, and RR. And this is a very early experience of a sequential uh, intervention where patients who um, didn't meet the finish line, as I spoke spoke about with portal vein embolization, they moved on to a vein embolization. The key here is that it's safe. Patients were able to tolerate the additional embolization procedure, so I think this paper established it um, as a salvage uh, technique to induce more growth if PVE didn't make it. I think just bringing it back to the very beginning, the key here is if the liver didn't grow because of poor liver quality, I think that's a patient who should not be selective for hepatic vein embolization, and the liver told you already that it's somebody who's probably not um, on the path to surgery so the the higher level commentary here for me is that this is an additional salvage technique for someone who you do think has a decent chance to grow even further if the target is surgery for an in, in, in individual patient okay.
1: I think it's a good summary of, uh, of this paper. This paper again was our preliminary experience we have now more experience uh, with combined hepatic vein, and portal vein embolization in the same setting. And this is something we are particularly interested in in patients with very small future liver remnant volume on the CT. They present up front with a very, very small liver, and our experience with portal vein embolization in these patients uh, indicates that portal vein embolization is not sufficient to induce regeneration that's adequate for safe liver surgery. So, so clearly, these um, padding vein embolization uh, are novel approach and, in fact, um, uh, a better approach than uh, other more aggressive um, uh, approaches to uh, regenerate the liver uh, before major resection, such as the ALPS procedure uh, associated uh, portal vein uh, ligation and transsectional liver before uh, major liver resection. The ALS procedure has been performed at many centers where the, there were limited resources in terms of interventional radiology and was used as a surrogate to uh, induce major liver regeneration of the liver. But I think if you look at the at now what we have with a combination of hepatic vein embolization and portal vein embolization, we uh, have good results. And uh, and the procedure, again, not only portal vein embolization, but the hepatic vein embolization is done in radiology safely as well. It's done differently from the portal vein embolization because, you know, you have to access the hepatic vein and the... Uh, And instead of accessing the hepatic vein through the liver, as as we do with the portal vein embolization, it's accessed through a transjugular approach and directly um, occluding the hepatic vein, either the right hepatic vein or the middle of both. And then the uh, coils are placed, and um, uh, these coils are special coils that occlude essentially the hepatic vein. And again, the procedure is done safely.
0: I just have I just have one question, um, and maybe this is, you know, as a trainee. When do you decide to occlude the right hepatic vein or the middle hepatic vein or both? What is the thought process behind which vein you choose to occlude in HBE? I think that's a really good question.
2: Um, and I think that, unfortunately, I don't have a satisfying answer for that because I don't think at this point in time we have data to guide the... Genetics of hypertrophy of one versus the other. I'll tell you my personal practice. This is something that I, I have uh, o- um, offered to multiple patients. Is I start with the right Um Typically because, in, in, as, a, as we mentioned, these are patients who are most often undergoing at least a right hepatectomy. If not an extended right hepatectomy. And I feel allows for protection of segment four, or some of segment four, if you're planning on leaving some of that, if you leave the middle hepatic vein drainage open. So it just kind of keeps your options open. So um, I start from the right and move to the, board, to the middle, but typically uh, if we either do it simultaneously, it's typically right PVE with right hepatic vein embolization
0: or right PV plus four with right hepatic vein embolization. Well, that's a great summary on sequential HB uh, after PV. And Dr. Buti, I'm glad you alluded to this earlier, but the combination of HVE and PV, and I think it's a good transition into our next article, which is to discuss simultaneous portal and hepatic venous embolization. Um, and we use an article published in 2020 from our French colleagues on radiological simultaneous portal of hepatic venous embolization, which is often abbreviated as RASPE or RASP. Um, and so. Like we said, it's different from HVE, as we just described, because in RASP, the hepatic veins and the portal veins are embolized in one procedure together, hence the S standing for simultaneous. And so just some background on this article. Since 2016, uh, the practice at the Authors of Center in France has been that all patients with an FLR less than 25% undergo RASP prior to major hepatectomy, while those with the FLR greater than 25% requiring hypertrophy, would undergo a PVE prior to major hypotectomy. And this study is a retrospective review of 73 patients total treated at that center between 2016 and 2018. 37 patients underwent RASP due to the FLR below 25% at baseline, while 36 underwent PVE as they had the FLR greater than 25%. And these groups were matched based on Patient demographics, tumor characteristics, and the amount of preoperative chemotherapy they received in terms of the number of cycles. And the increase in FLR volume at four weeks was twice as large in the RAS group compared to the PVE group. And additionally, post-op liver failure did not occur in any of the RAS patients, but was seen in twenty-three point three percent of the PVE patients. And these are pretty remarkable findings for a trainee like me, considering PVE has been the standard of care um, in liver hypertrophy for thirty years, but Dr. New, what do you make of this study and the findings behind it? So I think to take a step back and think about why
2: the authors have adopted this te- this practice and why they published this paper is critical. If some patients get PVE and don't grow enough, but we have something that can be done safely, as we mentioned with the last paper, to add potential hypertrophy for some patients, if you can do it safely, why wouldn't you do simultaneous for everyone upfront, right? And that's sort of I think the overarching question here from this group: if it can be done safely, and that's what they are trying to establish here, why not offer it for everyone? So in this group, they essentially showed that they have a they're very good at what they do, a hundred percent technical success rate in both groups so they can already do it technically successfully. So it's not going to hurt from a technical standpoint, right? And then they measured that in this, using this procedure, that they're, they they used the term profound, more profound growth if they did simultaneous uh, embolization of both the hepatic venous system and the portal vein for these patients. I think it really boils down to um what your target is, right? If you want to get just to a certain number to establish that liver growth is safe and above a certain threshold, then you may not necessarily need to do it at the same time for everybody because the liver is going to continue to grow postoperatively. It's not necessarily that you want to grow to your final level before you go to surgery, right? So do you need to expose patients to potentially more risk if you can't offer interventional radiology expertise that to the level of this group, right, number one? Um, And then number two, I think it has to do, as I said, with not knocking a patient off their treatment path, so to speak. So I don't necessarily want to have a patient undergo both procedures and necessarily potentially forego surgery. Didn't happen in this paper, but you can imagine where that situation would occur. In my experience so far, they're not an equivalence uh, in terms of uh, the experience of the patient. I think that patients do go through a lot more with a simultaneous uh, embolization here. Um, and I think that there's, uh, if you don't need the profound growth, so to speak, we don't necessarily need to offer it for all patients. So I think a selective approach based on what indices you want to get a patient to in order to go to the operating room safely is the critical conclusion. Uh,
1: I may add that. Uh, <clears throat> You have to look also at the quality of your portal vein embolization. At many centers, the portal vein embolization is performed very quickly with placement of um, absorbable material and coiling of the distal branches, anterior and posterior branches of the portal vein, and the portal vein embolization is is somewhat inadequate. So I think uh, many uh, centers have resorted to uh, simultaneous portal vein embolization and hepatic vein embolization because the 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 first procedure was insufficient. So the, I think this is a very important uh, point to note. And uh, as Dr. Newhook just mentioned, in fact, in our experience with high-quality portal vein embolization upfront, when we do a hepatic vein embolization, there might be side effects in terms of. Uh, Elevation of the liver function test and right upper quadrant pain, which uh, we we wouldn't have with with a portal vein embolization only. The other point also is the the uh, article that you just summarized, Dr. Jane, uh, does not really refer to the kinetic growth rate, and we are uh, emphasizing the kinetic growth rate as the ultimate. Uh, measurement for us of the adequacy of the regeneration before the resection. So uh, I would say if a patient has a future liver remnant of 20% uh, before uh, procedures, uh, and we we do with a portal vein ambition, we go from 20 to 28%. Uh, we don't need to have 30%, and we don't feel like the 20% is, is too small or so small that you should do uh, combined procedures. So uh, we are happy because uh, if you regenerate eight uh, percent in three weeks, it's uh, it's more than two percent per week. And in our experience, more than two percent per week is associated with a great outcome. So uh, and and we we have uh, in the past done re- resection in patients went from 15% to 25% safely because because the great KGR, the KGR is the kinetic growth rate, speed of regeneration, and the, that's the only really good functional measurement we have now for liver regeneration, uh, and that has been shown to be associated with outcomes. So we use that uh, primarily, so we don't feel like necessarily achieving uh, a set volume is the ultimate endpoint for um, predicting outcome.
2: I'd like this to emphasize in a, in a, from a different perspective for the listeners what Dr. Bote just mentioned. Summarize in my mind, as a one time trainee and a mentee of Dr. Bote, what he's telling me is that the jury is still out. We don't have data to necessarily say that all patients need to undergo simultaneous HVE and PVE, particularly because we do not know if HVE is necessarily safe um, or contributes much more if patients undergo high-quality PVE. So you have to interpret all these things, and it's not an insult to the, the group that's writing this paper. Obviously, there's institutional experience that goes into all this so again our approach is a selective approach here um, number one number two i want to editorialize a little bit on the kgr because it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because that is the most important number after any embolization procedure but again keep in mind that the kgr is a statistical analysis of hypertrophy after pve alone right pve alone so Again, in the literature and, and in conversation, a lot of people use the term KGR and apply it in so many different arenas When it, with regards to infertility of the liver that it's not necessarily even uh, appropriate. So actually, we don't know what the, the KGR that is appropriate target after simultaneous HBE and PBE really is, because we haven't gotten enough patients in a series to determine Um, where on the kinetic growth rate curve is appropriate um, to prevent liver insufficiency. So again, it's almost misapplied when we say that the KGR is superior for something like ALPS compared to two-stage hepatectomy, because the KGR 2% per week doesn't
0: mean anything in their ALPS procedure compared to PVE. That's a great point. Those are great points, I think, for all the listeners, especially the trainees. It's important to remember that uh, KGR is an important, and if not the king, when it comes to measuring the adequacy of your PVE, and when you read a lot of studies um, about venous deprivation and liver hypertrophy, one of the big questions you should be asking, which we're asking, is what is the KGR? We don't know. I mean, we just don't know what the qual- what the quality of hypertrophy is
2: after such profound growth, right? Right. Uh, to to kind of put it very plainly, we don't know if all the hookups are working the way they should. Is a, a ten times
0: rapid hypertrophy. A healthy hypertrophy, we don't know. Is that all all that extra parenchyma actually functional? That's key. All right, and so it's a great, great discussion there. And so we're going to switch gears a little and move into the final part of our episode and discuss the fast-track two-stage hepatectomy. And just to give some context for the listeners, generally in patients with bilateral colorectal liver mets who are at risk for post-op liver failure due to the extent of the resection um, they need and an insufficient FLR, we do a two-stage hepatectomy with PVE. Basically, you do your first stage hepatectomy, give the patient some time to recover, perform the PVE, the patient needs to recover after that, and have time for the liver to hypertrophy, and then we perform our second stage hepatectomy to remove the remaining liver lesions. But as you can see, there's a lot of time in between the two stages. At best, case series report a median time of seven to eight weeks, but in some patients, this can last months. And unfortunately, 20% of patients who undergo that first stage resection don't proceed to the second stage hepatectomy because they have insufficient liver hypertrophy after the PVE or disease progression during that time interval I mentioned between the stages. And so in order to minimize that time interval, we proposed a fast track two-stage hepatectomy in which patients would undergo their first stage hepatectomy and PVE together in the same setting using a hybrid IR surgical suite. And so will we Um, From our institution, we have a prospective study that was published in 2021, which included 19 patients with bilateral colorectal liver meds scheduled for a fast-track two-stage hepatectomy. The median number of lesions was 10, and the median size of the largest tumor prior to surgery was 2.4 centimeters. 17 of these patients, or 89%, completed the first-stage hepatectomy in PVE, and none of them actually had major complications from this novel combined procedure. The two patients that did not get the PVE was one due to portal venous hypertension and the other had disseminated peritoneal disease throughout. Now 12 of the patients proceeded to second stage hepatectomy as unfortunately 5 suffered disease progression in the time interval between stages. But I should note that this median interval between stages is only 5.6 weeks, which is a huge improvement off the 7 to 8 weeks I mentioned earlier and it's likely that these patients just had far worse disease biology. And it should also be noted that inadequate hypertrophy or FLR was not the reason for completing second-stage hepatectomy in any of the patients who ultimately com- completed the combined first-stage hepatectomy with PVE. Rather, it was generally disease progression or severe liver injury from cytotoxic chemotherapy. And so there are definitely a ton of benefits to the fast-track two-stage hepatectomy such as reducing anesthesia and operative encounters for the patient since the first-stage hepatectomy and PVE are combined. And the time of interval of only five to six weeks between stages is a huge improvement over that seven to eight weeks with a traditional two-stage hepatectomy. But Dr. Votey, Dr. Nuke, what are your thoughts on this novel approach? This is
2: such in the wheelhouse of Dr. Votey, So <laughs> I want
1: to let him go. <laughs> so I think you're... You gave a good summary of this paper. I should I should add that these patients had a median of 10 metastases. So two-stage hepatectomy is really performed at the institution for patients who cannot undergo parenchymal sparing surgery where we resect individual metastases. And for this small select Group of patients, we still feel surgery is a reasonable approach. Uh, we propose surgery, and when we, we consider two stage hepatectomy, it's something that that the patient has to buy into, and emotionally also, you are um, now embarking on you know looking at two surgery, then uh, the, then a portal vein embolization in between. The idea behind the fast track was that, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we wanted to reduce the the interval between the first stage and the two stage because uh, some papers have shown three months, four months, up to six months after uh, between the two procedures have combined. Also, these um, uh, sequences with chemotherapy, and we didn't want to give too much chemotherapy. In fact, in our experience, we have not historically given chemotherapy between the first and the second stage. So we were fortunate at our institution to have a hybrid room available um, the, to redesign uh, this, this three-procedure uh, sequence. And we have this hybrid room, which has a CT on rail, uh, fluoroscopy availability so that you can do a CAT scan, you can do the portal vein embolization, and you can do the procedure. Also the surgery, it's a carbon fiber uh, table. It's somewhat cumbersome for surgeons because it doesn't move and tilt as as we would like to, uh, but we have used it for the first stage procedure uh, It was fairly easy because the first stage procedure is an easy procedure. So what we do in a hybrid room, essentially, we replicate uh, what we used to do uh, as two procedures. So we do the first stage hepatectomy, and then in the same setting, the patient stays in the room and uh, percutaneously, transhepatically with the same ipsilateral approach we have used, we do the portal vein embolization. And, and then we do a CT on rail. So in fact, it's three encounters in one. It's two procedures and three encounters in one. The patient gets also the post-portal vein embolization CT. Uh, so we can do the volumetry based on this CT uh, in anticipation of the volumetry we do uh, three weeks later and we're gonna be able to do the two measurements. So uh, as you said, uh, four weeks later, on average, we were performing the second procedure. And again, the stumbling block is really the fact that these patients have a vast disease and a number of these patients did not undergo the second stage. But it was because of progression of disease and not lack of regeneration. So again, hybrid room, it's sort of the Ferrari now, but it has, it's in the early stage of its development. I think we're looking here at MD Anderson as as having a better design hybrid room for for surgery. I think there are a lot of advantages in having uh, our interventional radiology with us in surgery. And CT is a great uh, imaging and better for, uh, than ultrasound uh, for um, some imaging. And I'd like to have it in the future uh, with advanced uh, suites and more development will be needed to uh, perfect this hybrid uh, approach and fast-track approach.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it could be um, something big for the future, as you alluded to, Dr. vote because I know big criticism of two-stage hepatectomy with PV is that long interval, especially in the people who are of the ALPS camp, because they claim, well, ALPS gives you regeneration so quickly. But obviously, ALPS is just so morbid. So I think, like you said, this having this fast-track two-stage hypotectomy um, in the hybrid suite, the Ferrari of the future, I think that it's very helpful in reducing that time frame. And unfortunately, you know, tumor biology and disease biology is something you have to consider. There are just some patients who, even in such a short window as we had that four to six weeks, will still progress. But overall, I think this is, was a great discussion. I think the big takeaways for everyone is that there's a lot of factors that go into surgical resection for liver tumors, patient characteristics, tumor biology, um, and ensuring adequate future liver remnant to prevent post-hepatic insufficiency. And we hope this episode gives all the listeners a solid understanding of PVE as well as future advances in liver venous deprivation therapy to help induce adequate hypertrophy of FLR. And, you know, we'll see you next time. And as always, dominate the day.
2: Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review.